So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, it's been a good week. Um, I've just been filming this week for the mural we're painting with Tati Divine. Yeah, that's uh, that's really cool and nice to be collaborating with a podcast guest as yeah. well. We got a message last week from a listener who I'm absolutely hyped to say has gone down to a nine-day fortnight. You like, love this, don't you? I do that. You and Emma Gannon should start a club. That's the the make people work less club. It's making people work the same amount of time, but just restructuring their hours. Yeah. So for people who haven't heard us talk about this before, in the UK, there's a thing called flexible working, which everyone is legally entitled to. Every company you work for legally has to consider it where you can be flexible in your working hours so you can work different hours within a day as long as you work the same hours within a week you can kind of juggle them around a bit so for example like my girlfriend works a nine day fortnight so she works an extra 45 minutes every day for nine days then gets every other friday off work we had a listener write in last week saying that from listening to us he'd now gone down to a nine day fortnight as well and he was going to use the extra day to start pushing his creative passions do you want to give him a shout out shout out to jack from ramble on records yes jack well done if anyone's interested in flexible working if you just google flexible working it's actually a gov.uk page where you can learn all about it yeah definitely if there's a way to leverage where you're working currently so that it can benefit what you want to do in the future or may or may possibly want to do in the future or um that can just give you more freedom and and happiness in your life then then leverage it if it's there to be used then use it yeah definitely the happiness side of it's massive as well because i know a lot of people do it just to spend more time with their kids or just to go and like see family and stuff so even if it's not for something you're pursuing in that way like you can just do things to be happier yeah again and i i mean we have on the podcast um on the podcast description i I think we might change it as well but on the podcast description it says about um rebelling against the nine to five and it's like yeah, we did do that, but that's not for everyone. And we don't advocate that, that everyone should do that. It is all about finding your happiness. Mm-hmm. We got a DM uh, a couple of weeks ago from someone who was talking about how they're so glad that they've just started being creative again because it's yeah. lifted their depression because they were feeling depressed because they weren't ever being creative. Yeah, And that doesn't have to be, I'm going to earn a million pounds from being creative. It's just I just want to be creative. Yeah, it's just finding time to do it. And if you're if you're busy at other times, like having that spare time and making spare time to do that kind of thing is so important yes another really really good question that we got through this week and oh it's, it's such a it's something that so many people struggle with and we've just we've just got better over the years i guess and that's um they wanted to know some like top tips for negotiating yeah super good question when people start they don't really understand what their value is and what they're worth and even like what people's budgets are so when we start off we don't negotiate no we just accept what we're given. Yeah, definitely. You just think, well, this person's willing to pay me something. So that's great. It's better than nothing. Yeah, people say like, I can't really charge for it. Like, it's something I love doing. Like, why would I charge for it? But that's how you make a living 
doing what you love you have to charge money for it that's what separates you from having a hobby to being a professional yeah i can't remember who it was who was saying it but they were saying whatever they whenever someone comes to them and says like oh i've got for example a thousand pounds to do this project they always go back with i'll do it for 1500 they'll always add on 50 percent, no matter what it is even if they think actually that's a really good deal they'll just add on 50 percent because you've got to realize that if you're working for an agency for example they're making a commission on you so there's definitely profit in it for them so you can definitely squeeze them for that profit and there's a good chance that if they've come to you it's because they really want you and they want what you you can provide so and you don't know what they're going to make and what their markup is we've had projects before where we've accidentally found out what the agency has charged for us and it's been double we and that's were, heartbreaking really because that's that's double for no work because yeah. we take on all of the project management side and an agency's just slapped on a fee and it's exactly what we were charging them yeah that they're going to make in profit and really they've done none of the work yeah and that happens so often in the agency model whereas if you're working direct to brand then there's a good chance that again if they've come to you it's because they want what you're doing and if they come and say well we've got this budget for it there's a good chance that they could go higher and most people will that all comes down to negotiation doesn't it it's it's knowing your worth i think a lot of creatives go straight in with this is the cost however if they take a minute and pause and ask what the budget is first the budget may be double what you were about to charge them yeah so that's definitely a tip that i would that i would use when it comes to knowing your worth and not just accepting that that this is, and this is a lesson that, that we learned really recently. So we were working on an event and we were asked to book a couple of guests for said event. And there was an agreed fee for the um, for the guests that we booked, which yeah. is great because we, we obviously want our guests to get paid if there's a payday there for them. We started to organise it and one of the guests said, that's not what I want this is what I want. And just by coming back and asking for that, they actually got it. Yeah. That's just, just through asking, just through, mm-hmm. through knowing that guest knew their worth and said, no, I, this is, this is what I'm charging. Yeah. Um, whereas all of the other guests who, who I'm sure do have a higher fee were told this is the fee. So they accepted the fee. Yeah. So a tactic I like to use when negotiating is using the phrase normally. So when you go to someone with a figure that you're confident with, you can just say, well, I normally charge this. Then they'll feel bad coming back to you feeling like they can't go much lower than what you suggested. It gives them a frame of reference, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I actually used that recently. So there was an event that we were booked for and I said, normally we charge £1,500 for a for an evening um, speaking engagement. Mm-hmm. And the lady came back to me and said, we don't have £1,500, we have 250 quid." That's a massive drop. Yeah. But I wanted to do the event. I probably would have done the event for free if they'd said we don't have a budget for this. Yeah. But I'm always going to say the top price, the 1,500, because just in case they may have that budget. And then, so if I'd gone in straight away with a lower amount, then they maybe would have come back with an even lower amount. Yeah. Like you can always negotiate down, but you can't negotiate up. Yes. Like if you go to a client and say, well, this will be 400 pounds. And then you'd be like, oh, actually... I should, can we do it for 600? They're just going to say no because you went in low. But if you go in high, then you can only come down and work out where what's good for both of you. And it's also important to mention that we learned a huge lesson when we very first started Graffiti Life yeah. and books one of our first big clients, um, which was Nike, and it was through an agency called AKQA. We pitched for the job, uh, we costed it up, and 
we were very, very scared because the price that we came up with for all of the work they wanted doing, I think was double anything that we'd sent off up until yeah, that point. So, yeah. It, at that time, it was a really significant amount of money. And so we were all scared. We were like, shall we send this? It's too much money. They're just going to say no. They're going to laugh. We sent it off. We got the job. We were overjoyed. We were like, wow, this is this is the biggest payday we've ever yeah. had. It's incredible. Um, and it was a, a big project for Nike. And we were painting outside of, uh, of Arsenal Football Stadium. Great for us. It looked brilliant on the website. It brought in a load of, of attention. And because it like Sky News were down there. Yeah. And we, we PR'd the hell out of it. We maximized the, the opportunity. And whilst we were painting it, uh, one of the guys from AKQA, the agency, came over and chatted to us, didn't he? The guy came over and he was like, I love what you're doing. It's really, really good. Um, it's funny, actually. Um, I almost didn't go with you guys. And we we're like, oh, like, why? Like, and then we were wondering, like, was there competition? Like, who else were we against? And this, and this kind of thing. And he was like, you were too cheap. And I was um, like, yeah, what a huge moment that was for us. Like, we were too cheap. Going into a market that you don't know fully, which is most people when they start a business, like, you don't know everything. And realising what, what the industry standards are and what people are willing to pay for stuff. Like if you look at photo shoots, for example, like that big brands do, they'll spend like thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds on putting together these big shoots. Whereas if it's just a small brand, it might be a couple of hundred quid. And a lot of the reason that he was worried was that the high price tag, a higher price tag would have instilled confidence mm -hmm. because it shows that you're established. It shows that you know your worth. It shows that you know what you're doing mm -hmm. and you only learn that with time and he took a he took a gamble on us and it turned out right because the, he got a good job if be like if you went into a coffee shop and there was coffee for 20p and you probably wouldn't buy it because it's too cheap like i you just assume it was a bit of instant and hot water and it would be awful whereas it could be the best piece of coffee you've ever had but because it's priced so low it's below market value you just don't expect it to be good. Yeah, I've got a friend actually who made a lot of money from coffee. Mm -hmm. And that is because the average cost to make a cup of coffee is 17 pence. Yeah. And so the markup is absolutely phenomenal. Like, I mean, you don't get that return rate on hardly anything. Yeah. But like 17p flipped into £2.50. Yeah. Um, and if you, when you're selling cup after cup after cup, as he was, it's, it can be a great business to get into we we pay for the confidence yeah we pay to know that two pound fifty i know that i'm not getting the the grinds or whatever it is at yeah. the, the bottom of the coffee machine we've discussed a lot here but and none of that happens overnight it's all a gradual process yeah. and, but it's just good to have in your head now even if you're just starting off it's good to have in your head now that maybe i am worth a little bit more than what i'm charging mm -hmm. and i need to be confident in the prices that i am charging and you'll just, you'll notice that you'll evolve through your journey. And it's, it's a constant thing. I'm, I mean, we're nine years in now and we're still learning. Yeah, all the time. One person that we've, we've watched on that journey is this week's guest, Poppy Chancellor. Poppy Chancellor is an illustrator and paper cut artist. Poppy addresses themes in the work that she gives a shit about. Femininity, women helping women, and most recently, dealing with death. Poppy regularly works with brands like Adidas and Cass Kidson and has even been commissioned by the Queen. She has a tireless work ethic and is a perfect case study for how to build a powerful brand and a loyal following. In this episode, we talk about big butts, dealing with death and fighting for what you believe in. It's not easy to make this your career, so you have to fight, fight, fight to do something that you love, put the work in. Hi, Poppy. Hello, darling. Hello. <laughs> 
Um, how was Japan? Oh my God, inspo for life. I mean, it was incredible. I've already got back and I'm like, okay, how can I design some fans? I need some lanterns. Yeah. Um, I need to do this, this, this. So yeah, incredible, amazing culture, really inspiring, so much integrity, so clean. Integrity, what do you mean by that? Um, I just mean that everything is done with the highest level of care and precision, Mm -hmm. whether that's putting a beer on the table and making sure the logo is facing you as it's presented, whether I saw them go out in kimonos on a Wednesday morning, picking up trash in the street in groups. And that's just like a social thing that they do together. And I just thought, God, my road is full of trash. (laughs) And yeah, there's like a collective responsibility that I just thought was amazing. It was just impeccable. Yeah, impeccable place. I've got to go. It's like... You will love it, I think. It's so creative, really spiritual, very stylish. It was very exhausting. Mm. (laughs) I just loved everything and I was quite overwhelmed. What did you do when you were there? We visited shrines. Um, We went to Naoshima, which is the art island has all these like incredible Monet paintings and sculptures and God, yeah. And then we went to Kyoto, which is like very chilled and it was also kind of a bit of a food holiday. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> so like, yeah. we were just like the shaved ice and the lovely like fish shaped pastries and oh, mochi with little strawberries inside. Amazing. The long train journeys. Yeah, it was amazing. Did you go on the fast trains? Yeah, the... the Shinkansen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, first class, baby. Oh. It's only a little bit more, but totally worth it. I mean, my chair went so far back. (laughs) That poor person behind you. There was no one there. (laughs) It was empty. It was an empty carriage. Amazing. That's super first class. (laughs) (laughs) I need to save like thousands before I go. Yes. Because I collect toys. And so I just feel like Japan will be a problem for me. That is 100% a problem. You know, those little thingies those little toys that people collect yeah i mean i don't know but the shops were like there were giant ones and there was like a margella one and a gucci one and i could just tell if i collected those and knew what they were yeah i'd be excited yeah but i didn't know what they were yeah, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) thank god i just walked straight past into the stationery shop and just stared at all the paper Oh yeah, Japan and paper. Yeah. It's all coming together now. I totally get it. It is. And the extra suitcase that we needed to get home. You just filled it with paper. (laughs) Filled with paper and fans and oh god, it just yeah, it just went on the station. Just like scissors. They have like a floor Mm. of scissors and scalpels and scissors. I've got so many scissors. I just think they're a beautiful oh. object. I, f- I can just picture, you know, when you get the houses that have got like paper walls, I feel like you could do a paper house. Oh, they're with- like tatami. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you can cut the whole house. Incredible. Yeah, I'm a bit obsessed with, um, and I think I always have been since being a kid, of just going into stationery shops and, and like cardboard boxes I'm a little bit obsessed with as well. And I spent all my time in a cardboard box as a child. <laughs> My dad was like, I don't know why we buy you toys. He would just plonk me in a cardboard box and I'd be like pretending I was on the ocean and I had my teddy bear and he'd be in the cardboard box and my dad would just drag me in the cardboard box. Like, I genuinely think kids don't need that much to be totally, 
you know, have their minds set on fire. Yeah. Cardboard box. That fact, is the one. Like, yeah. I'd probably encourage it. I yeah. think that, I think, like, yeah. all of the newfangled stuff kind of takes away from creativity, really, doesn't it? Takes it? the imagination like, out of it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, definitely. For me, it was just the less I had, the more you have to use your imagination. And yeah. that was just so much fun. Like, I think I had a trampoline in the garden, the really small ones. And I would... Um, just jump up and down and pretend I was like on the moon (laughs) and just be like boing 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 zero gravity (laughs) you know and that's not you know that's not much but it was just so much fun so I guess from the cardboard box to there to the paddling pool Mm. you were a bit uh, naughty when you were a kid weren't you what how do you know that my sources oh no how do you know that I've been I've been trying to cover that up for many years. Shouldn't was... talk about it in interviews then, because that's how I found out oh, about it. Oh, right. <laughs> I guess, yeah, maybe it comes out. I was really awful, yeah. Define, define awful. Angry. Right. Violent. Um, say that rude. Okay, rude. Yeah. Um, smashing things. Totally out of control. And what would calm you down? Drawing. And you think that's been I think yeah drawing was like the control that I had like my life was I had no rules as a child because my mom was like babe if you want to just not have a bedtime that's fine (laughs) and kids actually really want rules and I think she thought she was being like cool chilled mom yeah and actually now looking back on it the freedom that you have as a child can actually drive you a bit crazy because then I didn't know what Mm. I was meant to be doing when I was meant to be doing it so when I drew it was very much like here's a person this is their name this is what they're doing and I just got totally lost in a world that I was controlling and that I could create and it could be a happy world or it could be a dark world or whatever it was it it was totally my creation so I think there's a lot of maybe relaxation in that and like power in that so that was something I spent ages doing but to add the naughty element in sometimes it would be on the walls of the bedroom and I'd be like oh my god okay so this cat lady she's gonna be cat and she's gonna be wearing high heels and then there's a water fountain in the background there's princesses you know and my mum would be like god that's a great drawing I'm like but it is all over the bedroom (laughs) you know she was so supportive but people just couldn't quite believe that, you know, my bedroom wall was a canvas or something like that. So, yeah, there was an element of like I was a bit of a volcano that had gone off and never got told off as well, which I think quite bad. At what point do you think you calmed down? 11. I basically was at a very chilled state school where we just did kind of Spice Girls routines and kind of played football. We didn't really learn anything. Like I couldn't spell or do maths or anything. (laughs) So it's like, it was the local state school, really good fun. And then my mum had, and then I didn't get into any of the secondary schools that were state in the area. Oopsie. Um, So my mum went to a private school, met with the headmaster and showed him all my drawings and was like, look, we can't afford to send Poppy here, but I really think, she's talented and I got an art scholarship to my secondary school which I think is like partially paid for and yeah they took me on but it was so strict so I started there at 11 it was like French classes in the morning morning maths all this stuff that they'd been learning French since they were like six and I couldn't count so I was suddenly in this place of 
I was totally out of my depth. I was really naughty and that wasn't cool at this school. Whereas at my last school, if you kicked a boy in the balls, everyone would high five you. And he'd be like, yeah, I'm the boss of the playground. <laughs> and then here, everyone would be like, wow, you really need to look at your behaviour. And I'd be like, oh. and I was sick from anxiety every day for a year when I started at that school. So there was a total like, God, I need to really reassess my mm. shit. Um, and I just wanted to fit in and have friends. So I think there was a lot of like, how do I fit in here? Okay, doing your homework's cool here. I didn't know yeah. that was a thing. Um, being respectful of people is cool here. And I really wanted to be rewarded. I think all kids do. And I was good at English and yeah. I was good at art. And I just started working really hard at that school. I, I didn't fit in with everyone at all. I was still like a bit of the class clown and... accidentally kind of hit someone's teeth out with a tennis racket and stuff so I still had a bit of um (laughs) a bit of the sass was still there (laughs) and also my mum like stopped drinking and she kind of pulled her life together in a way that was really supportive of me as well so I think we just all got our our world a bit more straight and tight and we kind of knew what was going to work and what wasn't going to work anymore. And we, we spoke about that. I remember my mum talking to me and being like, this cannot go on. And I know that my behaviour can't go on and we've got to work together to make a better life. And I really listened to her because it was, it was the first time I remember her sitting me down and like really meaning what she said in a way that I could really hear it and be like, yeah, Let's do this. Mm. So I was I was really a very well behaved teenager, weirdly. I had my kind of teen years between like seven and ten, and then very well behaved teen, I think. At secondary school, I was just like homework. I came home, went straight upstairs, did my homework, did all the debating society, all the plays, everything. And did you find you found friends? Yeah, I did. I did. They were just very different to me. It was um it was a very luxurious upbringing. I remember I got really bullied for having a semi-detached house. Whereas at my previous school, it was like, Poppy's got a semi-detached. And we'd have all the parts, whenever it was anyone's birthday, it would like be at my house. And um, so, yeah, there was this feeling of of having made really good friends at my primary school that like no one had anything. And then going into this very like, you know, there were situations like people would arrive in helicopters at my school and stuff and... You know, people's dads were like Mick Jagger. I mean, that was the reality there. So it was a it was a strange changeover, which I think is why it impacted me so much. As I became quite quiet, mm. and I still tried to be like funny class clown. Ooh. But it was um, yeah, it was a whole new experience that it took me a while to settle into in that situation. Were you still doing art a lot? Like, was that something yeah. you were really passionate yeah, about? Yeah, because I I couldn't work out what I was good at. Mm -hmm. I knew I loved drawing and I knew I was on this art scholarship and I couldn't work out where I fitted in with everyone because most people were good at sport there. And that was like, I was so bad. So I would um, spend a lot of time in the art room and that's where you'd get respect. You got respect if you were good at something. Mm -hmm. So I think I spent a lot of time, you know, being like, oh, this is my drawing or this is my painting. They'd be like, oh, cool. And I'd be like, oh my yeah someone said I was cool so yeah I think art has always been an escape where I felt comfortable and I I wanted to experiment and get better and I'm still in that place now it's like wanting to learn more and try different things and stuff so 
yeah, I think it's always been like that friend that I've always been able to go to um, for comfort in times of a bit feeling a bit distressed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely because you've you've certainly the work I've seen like been dealing with um, the death of your dad. Yeah, through yeah. through your artwork, hundred percent, and that's yeah. brought on your your new project. Yeah. So um, my dad died three years ago, and. It only really hit me in January because my work had been going so well and I'd been kind of riding this wave of like pretending that it didn't happen and pushing it down and being like, well, I've got this job and my book's just come out and all this stuff. And I was like, woo, (laughs) just push it down. And then I had a quiet January this year and, you know, there were a few other things that were happening in my life that I was a bit triggering and... And suddenly I think my body didn't want to kind of, was ready to kind of come out of denial, which I think takes a while. And all of these feelings just surfaced and I totally lost confidence in my work. I lost confidence in myself, in my relationship, everything, because there's such a darkness that came out. And I immediately thought, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do? But luckily I'm quite like, a self-preservationist so I was like okay I'm going back to therapy Mm -hmm. I am gonna quit my agent because um it's not working for me it's giving me anxiety I am gonna start a new project because I I had friends that had lost parents and people that I knew that had lost friends and stuff and before then I hadn't really spoken to anyone about it or before my own dad died they were these kind of people that I didn't really go near or I didn't know what to say And suddenly I was like craving just being near them and talking about it and having somebody that understood that wall of darkness that comes to Mm. you. And so I was like, okay, guys, we're going to meet in my flat. It's going to be once a month. I'm going to have flowers and candles and snacks and stuff. And we're going to talk about it. Yeah, we've just had our fifth meeting. Um, We're in Brick Lane, so not that far because I couldn't do it in my flat as we got bigger and bigger. And it's just been this amazing experience. My dad was a poet, so um, I read his poems. And it's that thing of having an access to your pain. So people bring either something that they've written or a lyric or something that they can use as an access. So they'll read it and be like, this is relevant to me because... So it's like a little stepping stone to um, speaking about that pain. Also, I wanted to address it in my work because my work is very much what I need at that moment. So whether it's I'm feeling not very confident in my body, I might make a naked paper cut of myself like to get that confidence back and be like, damn, yeah, girl, you look nice. Um, so then it was the same with addressing what has happened. Like, and I'm not ashamed that that's happened to me and, I, and I'm sure it's happened to lots of other people. So the first image that I made that really connected me to a grief community was I made a paper cut that said Dead Dad Club and uh, shared a bit about my story. And it was something that my sisters and I, because I have a 10 year old sister and a sister that is six months older than me. Um, we all have different mums and 
as a way of connecting us together, especially with a much younger sister. It was like, we're in the dead dad club, you know, fist pump, you know, we're in something together so that she doesn't feel so alone. And also that we don't feel so alone. And we were like, oh, we should make t-shirts. And then one day I was like, I should make the actual design. Like that's what I want to make. And as soon as I posted it, it just reeled and reeled and re- people's stories. I lost my dad a year ago. I lost my dad four years ago. I got to read everyone's stories and I was like, this is what I need is you get very isolated in grief. And as soon as you realize that you're not alone and that there's other people that feel yeah. exactly the same. And you know, the pride that I have in my artwork and sharing that was a really good access. And people were like, have you listened to the grief cast? Have you done this? Have you done that? And suddenly I was, I didn't know there was a grief community. Like that sounds so mad, but like now I'm obviously a part of it. But at that time, I didn't know there were podcasts about people grieving. There's one called um, Dead Parent Club, which I've done a podcast with them. And it's just realizing that it's not not allowed to be spoken about, even though it feels like that. Because people don't want to make you cry. Mm. People don't want to be like, how are you? Oh, sad. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, you know. But but then you miss saying dad, you miss saying their name and then all of those things become very precious and it's something that I'm working on and that I'm really enjoying hearing about other people's experiences and I definitely want to continue making art around it because it's been so healing for me and my sisters and, and my friends that I'm inviting and new people that are finding us through Instagram and mm. stuff. So that's been a project that I couldn't ever imagine now not doing and it comes so naturally. Yeah, it's 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 such a healing thing that um, became an idea. And I was like, this is going to happen right now. And it's going to be fun and creative and social and informal. And it's not going to be heavy and weighted and clinical. You know, I wanted it to be cool and fun. I'm so glad that your, your artwork has helped save you because it, I mean, it sounds yeah. like a cliche, doesn't it? Of like, oh, yeah. Your, that your art can save you but like it really has because yeah. I remember we spoke when you must have been oh, like really in the depths so of, low. and 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 I didn't really know what to say to you and I was yeah. like trying to pump you up because I know every interaction it was actually I've... really sweet it didn't make me feel better you were like you are the bomb you got this baby girl and I was like oh thank you so much I just I didn't couldn't quite word it like that I can't, I can't remember what you said but you were like you are amazing yeah. you are um you are a talented person you know you you've got when you're happy and inspired ideas come to me right and I can make them without questioning myself but there's a moment where if you don't even know how you feel about yourself for me it wasn't a creative place so yeah when you sent me that message I was yeah really down I'm so glad you pulled yourself out of it and like and turned it into something really positive and yeah Yeah. to go from and it's so crazy that you you were just pushing it down for all of that time for three years I know some people would be like, how do you feel like your dad said? And I'm like, I feel nothing because I'm doing really well and I yeah. don't have time to feel the other thing mm. that is there, like, because that will really ruin my vibe right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I've learned now is that I can be successful and I can also have that softer, messy, sad side of me as well. And that's being looked after in another project that I'm doing. And those two things can happen side by side rather exactly. than... And, you know, I've learned that with my therapist and I've worked on that as well. So knowing what is helpful for me in that space, because, yeah, you guys are like, we should do a podcast. And I was like, I'm not. I can't even imagine what I would have said then. I would have been like, 
life's not worth it. <laughs> you know, I would have had some really awful advice. <laughs> but what, yeah. but what, what, what would you say to them? all the creatives listening right now? Yeah. Quit. Yeah, <laughs> quit. Stop. <laughs> you know, what is life meant to be? Yeah. You do get like, you do get all these really weird thoughts about like, what's the point? Mm. What am I doing? So, um, you know, seeing you guys really do well in your podcast and then, you know, me gradually getting back on track and I've just done this amazing Red Valentino project and, you know, just really looked after my mental health and well-being and stuff. I was like, now's the right time. Like, yeah. this is going to be the wave that I can ride and be honest about it because, you know, I didn't want to come on and not mention that any of that had happened. And you guys know me well enough to be soft and sympathetic to that and all those kinds of things well i appreciate you um you talking about it because i i didn't want to bring it up first because i wasn't <laughs> sure whether you would want to talk <laughs> oh, about it oh so. yeah i definitely want to talk about it it's it's very healing to talk about it what would you say to someone who's in that situation at the moment where you were six months ago i would say to be creative in in whatever way comes naturally for you so some people like journaling loads of people have been writing poems at our grief case meetings whether they're poets or not it's kind of just stream of thought and you know they can be angry they can be sad they can be like please don't leave me where have you gone and at least that thought has then been realized and released in some way I do a lot of writing as well as my paper cut work and I think just like being active like I I found some amazing books about grief um there's a book called grief works by Julia Samuel that has totally just opened my eyes to the actual process of it and the reactions that you get from other people being like oh yeah people are scared to talk about it okay so what do I say to somebody you know and actually dealing with it you know find podcasts I think just tap into a world where you don't feel so alone but so many people don't know that 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 exists. So like you said, the grief cast with Carrie Ad Lloyd is like an amazing place to just hear people's stories and realize that it's not just you that's in pain. Everyone has their own grief that they're dealing with, whether it's a loved one, a friend, a pet, whatever, you know, and everyone is carrying pain somewhere. And it's just about, I think you become a lot more sympathetic when you've had a lot of pain because you realise, God, that person that, you know, is really dealing with something and they're doing really well. So, yeah, just like seeking out information and um, sharing yourself with people that you trust. Yeah. um, Your friends, your family. And um, but if you need a day in bed on your own do that as well like sometimes I mean this sounds so juju but I get my dad's um ashes are in a pot and I lie on the floor and I put it on my belly and I play a song that reminds me of him and I have a cry (laughs) and that's that's when I haven't cried in a while and I can feel that there's that um thing of pretending pretending coming back up and I'm like oh I know how to knock this wall down because there's a song that will get me every single time it's a Van Morrison song called Carrick Fergus stunning song and just like realize you're in grief someone that you love has died and you don't have to pretend that that's not the case and for me it's about um my body turns it off a lot some people it's the opposite so they Mm. feel it extremely all the time all the time all the time all the time so there's lots of different forms of grief for different people and your relationship with that person and all those things are very unique 
so yeah just finding out what works for you and our instagram is at the grief case and i post lots of images of people um you know crying and i think sadness is important to embrace and uh comforting each other is important and reading different people's approaches to death and mortality and stuff so kind of just letting yourself be inspired by what's possible with sadness that's yeah that's lovely um you love uh, girls bums don't you i love a peachy but that is true <laughs> changing the topic slightly. Yeah. <laughs> from death to butts yeah um, um i noticed that as a reoccurring yeah. theme in your work I lots think of bums i got teased for having like a big bum at school i was a bit chubby at school and all the girls in my mind looked like Giselle. I don't think they actually did. Yeah. But in my mind, I was like a little mushroom next to these supermodels. But that's how it felt. I'm sure that wasn't the actual case. So I think it's like, yeah, embracing those things that I struggled with myself. And, you know, as this wave of self-love is kind of coming to the fore in society, and you're seeing it more and more everywhere that you can be whatever shape you are. And that's seen as beautiful and human and accepted. And, you know, that has just been so healing, I think, for loads of people. And um, that's what I find attractive in myself. And I admire it in other people. And like, you know, I'm a bit like with my friends, I'm always like, oh, give them a little squeeze and they're like Bobby I'm like oh my god you look so good you look so good I'm going to make a paper cut of you later and I'm going to send it to you because in this picture you look incredible so yeah I think it's just like celebrating that strength and you know the weakness as well that's what I've realised I think my work was a lot about strength before and now I think I've been kind of aware that there's a lot of beauty and weakness too which I didn't quite get because I was being so strong for so long and I, so it's just like strong imagery, strong imagery. Come on, you can do it. You're yeah, a kick-ass woman. Yeah. And actually, I need to be proud of my fragility as well. And I think that's where the more kind of death-focused art can come from. And a lot of, you know, crying artwork or people comforting each other artworks, you know, just like a hug for me as has allowed people to like comment under my work. God, it was so lovely to see this today because... I did an artwork saying this too shall pass just with somebody crying and these like blue waves coming out their eyes and you know people were tagging each other and I was like god you know people looking out for each other you know through my artwork so you know I think that fragility can also balance the kind of physical strength and pride that you have in yourself me man you're really growing aren't you I am it's different isn't it it's like I do think if you are open to your pain, there is a depth that you see yourself in a slightly different way. And it doesn't Mm. have to be all bells and whistles and like, I'm a hot babe or whatever. It can also be, I'm a human and I'm struggling. And that's a kind of beautiful thing too. I think in a world where Instagram is just what people want people to see, this kind of perfect version of stuff. It's nice for there to just be some honesty. And I feel like that's what sounds like comes across so well. Just the fact that you're being honest with people, whereas most people online aren't that. And I think that's what I struggled with in in those months that I was really in a dark place. I kept being like, I noticed that I was making notes in my diary saying, make an image for Instagram. 
because obviously when you're an artist on Instagram, yeah. it's good to post regularly. And then I was like looking at it and I was like, make an image for Instagram. Is that is the most disgusting sentence I've ever, make an image for you. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Make an image for you. And it took me a while because I thought, oh, I haven't done a post this week. What do the people want to see? And uh, I think once you let all that go, and you're like, what do I need in my life right now? It will probably be what somebody else needs to. Yeah, so absolutely. letting that self-conscious thing go. And I think that comes with confidence and looking into yourself a bit more and actually not worrying. Like if this post gets 200 likes, that's fine. That is absolutely fine because I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just realizing that there's an algorithm going on and, you know, there's so many different things with Instagram, especially if you're a creative person, you take it quite personally. Yeah. Like, oh, I really loved that image. Did you guys not love it? And I think once you let that go and there can just be what's going on with you as the feed, I think that's just much more special. And people sometimes don't see your post, not because they don't like it, because they don't see it. Exactly. So um, it's just letting go of that kind of like culture that comes Mm -hmm. in with uh, being somebody who wants to grow their Instagram following, who wants to share their work through Instagram and stuff. And I think there is a huge freedom in just letting that go and creating work for yourself again. You found paper cutting kind of by accident. I did. Yeah, I did so badly in my end of year exam for uni. And it had been like inky drawings, charcoal portraits. It was horrible. And this was my end of year show. So you get a lot of your final mark is based on this. I got a bad mark. I thought I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to do something totally different for the exhibition. I'm going to do a whole new project. We had three weeks between getting your final project marked to when the exhibition was I thought I'm going to make something totally different and um, Rob Ryan had come in and given a talk and I thought damn this man is cool he used to talk about you guys draw on paper but my artwork is paper and I was like oh man blown and I thought I'd love to do something like that that is you know, we've been training to use pencils and charcoal and it's almost like not that your hand knows too much, but I wanted to kind of go back to the beginning. I didn't, I hadn't really used a scalpel that much before. So I started doing drawings of people on the bus and then cutting out their silhouettes kind of Victorian style, but they had like Adidas hoodies on or they were like modern looking people, but in this Victorian style. And then I started making kind of cut out illustrations that I then stuck in lampshades. And then for my final exhibition, you'd have to turn the lampshade on to follow the story of the kind of shadow people. through. And then there were all these like buses and you could turn the light on and you could move the people. It was like, yeah, very interactive and totally different to what I'd done before. And they were not very good (laughs) because I'd never done it before. So there was like this beautiful roughness to them that they looked a bit rubbish, but I knew how to draw. So there was like the element of, they were still kind of figuratively semi-correct, but they were kind of rough and chunky and had like a folk art quality about them. Um, And I just, I loved doing it. And people were like, wow, everyone's using computers and you're just using scalpel. Um, Which I think actually has run through my work quite a lot is um, artwork is so digital now. And I literally sit there with a scalpel for hours and hours and hours and make something that um, 
is totally drawn by hand and cut by hand and you can kind of tell that when you look at them and yeah i think that's what's nice about them like they have that realness yeah, to them they're and a little not, shadow behind them they're not perfect yeah. like i love them being a bit wonky and um the lettering or being a bit crap yeah. <laughs> not that it's crap but it's like it's not it's, digi- handmade, yeah. it's not yeah. digitally done so it's not like a perfect cursive yeah. with a drop shadow incredible mm. it's literally my handwriting that i have you know cut and made so yeah there's a lovely quality of imperfection and um craft to it that i think people really appreciate because you know seeing the artist's hand in artwork is always so satisfying because you can you imagine them doing yeah. it which i don't always get with digital stuff as much because i'm like god that's amazing but I don't imagine them making it so much because I feel like it's less romantic to imagine someone at a computer. Well, it's a lot less movement, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, like, it's just like... You click, could, if, click. You, if you time-lapse someone on a computer, it would just be like barely any movement. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like, you're going to be all over the place. Yeah. Like, yeah, it must be yeah, so fun. Yeah. yeah. What's, um, your, what's your process from kind of concept, having an idea to yeah. a piece of artwork? Um... I would say I've got lots of research sketchbooks where I keep phrases, song lyrics, things I've overheard on the bus because I love including text as mm-hmm. well so that you can kind of make a joke with the text or make a visual pun or something that, you know, might say bottoms up and then they're just two huge bums. Like, <laughs> you know, I like that kind of play on words. Um, so I've got books full of writing like that and then kind of little sketches of images that could go with that and then collages stuck in. So I might have an idea in my mind and then I might use a reference image and then, I mean, you find these very iconic images of women online. And you're like, oh, that would that would make, you know, maybe that bit would look really good. But I'm like, okay, I need to make her bigger because <laughs> that's not, you know, that to me, I need a bit more like chunk and muscle to make it relevant to me personally. And then I want her to be in a great outfit and I want it, you know, her to have great trainers on or, you know, kind of update something so that it's relevant for me and like uh, my audience, I think. So, yeah, like a reference image or a sketch or something, I'll draw that onto black paper and then I'll use my scalpel and remove the negative space with my scalpel, change my scalpel every three hours nice and sharp. And then I layer colour underneath, stick that on. And then I usually take a picture and share it to Instagram immediately because I work on my own. So it's quite nice just to get constant feed, well, instant feedback. And, you know, it's out in the world now. Regarding your characters, do you, yeah. like who inspired like the style of it? Like, is there anyone that you kind of growing up, you thought, oh, I love that. And you could see a little bit of them in you and a bit of this other person. Robert Crumb. I think a bit and like Aubrey Beardsley who did these beautiful like pornographic silhouette ink drawings um yeah Robert Crumb's um women are all very voluptuous and yeah I don't I didn't know much about him but I think I found a book when I was quite young like almost a bit too young because they got really hard nipples and stuff but what I saw from it not knowing much about him was the strength that's what I saw and I thought oh I haven't seen actually much Imagery, I guess if you go back, you've got Rubens and stuff like that, which um, when I started um, my postgraduate at the Royal Drawing School, which is um, in Old Street, 
then we did start looking more at like Titian and Rubens and all these kind of really voluptuous nudes and stuff. And I thought, God, I'd love to update those kind of Greek sculptures that they have a little belly and they have like soft thighs and everything. And I just thought we we got so far away from knowing what is a natural body and not really seeing it that much. You know, I'd love to go back to something like that, but just showing it in a way that is realistic. More relatable, I suppose. Yeah, just like me and my friends. Mm. Who was your first client? Oh, my mum. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I told you, I owed my mum like £500 when I left uni. And she said to me, I'll let you off £50 per artwork that you make me, but I want it to be customised for the person. So I've got a wedding next weekend. I want it to say both their names. I want it to have the wedding date. Um, she does this, he does that. So I want a symbol for each of those. And then they have a dog. Here's a picture of the dog. And I want that done and framed and ready to go. And that's going to be 50 quid off your debt. And I was like, oh, God, this woman is really like, <laughs> you know, putting me in the ground. But then, you know, but she did it in a way that was, you know, these were interesting people these were creative people and they would then ask for one for their friend and you know one of the couples that I made something for said can we feature it on our newsletter I was like yeah absolutely and I made a bespoke one for that with the name of the newsletter in it and stuff like that which they featured um, and they were like poppies available for commissions and yeah I got 80 orders amazing that day and I think about 60 the next day and I it was like one of those things where you're not ready at all. So I think I called up two girls that I knew and I was like, I'm going to send you the sketch. I need you to cut this out. We have not got long. It's all for Valentine's Day. Um, and it was all kind of bespoke designs. So we just, I think we had a few weeks to get all of those orders cut, sent out. And luckily it slowed down after then, but I had to kind of, yeah, manage manage what was possible i mean if i gave you 80 orders tomorrow how long would that take you oh to ages like ages Longer, it, right? again now that it's a more bespoke service yeah, yeah um you know the intricacy of what then i was doing like it wasn't that intricate it was like mm. names a few flowers you're done yeah now it's a lot more like colored layers which because i used to only do black and now I've started to work with a bit more with colour. And also I can pick and choose like if that suits me, if, if that works with the direction that I find interesting, I can do that. So yeah, it's slightly different. I don't think I could do 80 orders now because I, I put so much more yeah. into it, I think, of myself. How, how old were you at this point? So yeah, around like 21, 22. How much were you charging for these? Uh, about 60 quid. So it was a bargain because <laughs> that is not how much it costs now. But, um, but still times 80. That's yeah. a lot of money you must have earned. Yeah. I was also paying my friends like quite a good fee. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was a total learning experience. But I was like, wow, there is there's an audience for this kind mm. of thing. And that's when like Kirsty Allsop got in touch with me and wanted me to be on her craft show. And I thought, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I just taught myself how to do this. And I was leading, you know, the paper craft segment of her show. You know, it was really full on. And then I was on Sunday brunch teaching them how to do it with 
legend Maisie off Game of Thrones, like next to me being really good at it. I was like, oh, my hero. Um, she was using needle to... Yeah, that's what I was like. That's because she's good at yeah, using yeah. needle. She knows her own little needle. And I think once you're on TV, people kind of presume that you're a leader in your field. Yeah. And... I was learning as I was going and I just was saying yes to everything and doing photo shoots and making, you know, editorial illustrations for magazines and stuff. And um, that's when my management then got in touch with me and I had worked with them for like the past five or six years and I'm now working on my own. So, yeah, it's been like a huge journey, just like knowing your worth and, you know, pushing for work that inspires you and that sits well with, you know, your brand as well. In the early days when um, when you were just starting out, did you ever consider getting a proper job or did you? Yeah, I did. Absolutely. I was a teacher for a long time. An art teacher? An art teacher. Yeah, I did a lot of life drawing classes. I taught art to young kids. Um, And that was a part of my postgraduate is that when you finished your two year course, you could then teach kids on their. They had a charity for gifted and talented kids. And all of the people from our course, which were all artists, would teach in each borough. I have a real problem with that, by the way. Gifted and gifted and talented kids. Oh, right. Yeah, they used to call them GNTs. I was like, don't you just mean kids that are kids and can draw like everyone so i've had a conversation with uh, anton who edits this uh, our podcast yeah and um he went to school and they had a gifted and talented um group at his school that he wasn't part of oh, no. so because yeah, he wasn't part of it he grew up saying to himself yeah. i'm not gifted and i'm not talented oh i see and of course so you would for mm. the other kids of course you would yeah. you'd be like oh i'm not getting special treatment yeah or... i wasn't born a genius like these people yeah. that are gifted with magic yeah and it's bullshit and they're not gifted they're just kids that they're are trying kids, yeah. and enjoying themselves yeah. <laughs> oh my god no one would have said i was gifted and talented with like cats in high heels do you know what i mean they're like oh this is a bit of a weird drawing but anyway, anyway like, sorry, I yeah, derailed you there. Yeah, no, but that's true. That's true. I've, I um, basically it was a specialist class for certain kids that were chosen because it was free, basically. Mm-hmm. And they were just amazing. They were not scared of a blank page. I get really scared <laughs> of a blank page sometimes. Be like, what am I going to create? And they were just with their crayon yeah. all over the page. I was like, yeah. So I did a lot of teaching, which really allows you to see things from a different perspective I love being around kids I think the freedom and creativity that they have was really inspiring to my own work as well I bet kids love you as well oh well I was just being really naughty and doing like <laughs> stupid voices and being like hey guys and they were like ew um actually they thought I was a bit of a loser as well because I just thought guys isn't this amazing they're like not really <laughs> I'm like this drawing is incredible and I, I did love doing that and I think I will always that will always have a place in in my heart and that might be something I go back to at some point you but do workshops now don't you I do lots of workshops mm. now yeah that's more paper cutting based and that for me is like part of my job now but I had to make a choice I think when my book came out I was like I'm either going to do paper cutting and illustration full-time And I want to make the same amount of money that I'm making teaching. So I kind of worked out a bit of an hourly rate from that and things like that. So, yeah, there was a time where I just said, guys, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'm going to throw 
because I had to, I was doing like little book tours and stuff. And I was like, I just really want to make this work. So that, that was probably about five or six years ago. And you really needed to take the leap in order to make it work because you knew you couldn't do like do both. Yeah. And I just think, even though I wasn't sure I could do both, I had to see it puts a bit more pressure on you to want to get a job or to succeed because there isn't that regular money that's coming in that you know you can pay your rent with. So I was really fighting to survive that, you know, to do that. And I was pushing my book. I I had no PR for my book that was like separate, you know, part of the publishing thing. So I was like, I'm going to call up everyone I know. I'm going to call in every favor. I knew someone that worked at the evening stand. I'm like, you're coming down to my book launch, bring the photographer. I want to be in the evening stand at the next day. And we were, so it was like pushing it, pushing it. I knew a girl at timeout. Hi, can you feature the book? I sent my book to stylist. They featured it in their style list. You know, you really, I really just was doing as much as I could to make this my life because that's what I wanted. I think a lot of artists just assume that things will come to them if they keep putting out the content yeah. that things will just fall on their lap so it's great to hear I think that it does sometimes, sometimes maybe, the, maybe yeah, yeah. it does I don't know I don't know but I think you have to do as much work as you can to make those things fall on your lap you have to create a lot of work you have to do a lot of jobs you have to meet a lot of people and have a lot of connections for that amazing fall on your lap moment to then happen and how do you grow these connections i just love going to exhibitions meeting other artists like i've got friends of mine that are artists and we meet up and go to exhibitions together so when they're on a big project they're like you should come and meet this woman she's amazing she's head of this that and the other um you know just being interested in the creative makeup of the city that you're in Mm. and you know, meeting new people, contacting, hey, I love your stuff, we should do something together. Or like, your work is incredible, even though they've got 200 followers or something, your work is amazing. It's really inspiring to me. Can I buy some of your stuff? You know, going to the Brighton Illustration Fair, meeting all the young illustrators there. Because these people are going to be big, like they're talented, they're cool. Like, show some love and learn something from people that are making new work that's totally different to yours and I think just keep going to exhibitions and when you do a project with somebody just say like that was amazing like keep me in mind for something in the future like with this Red Valentino project I just emailed the woman saying I've just come back from Japan it was amazing we should do a project there (laughs) so rude like (laughs) I want to go back there basically and she just was like ha 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 you know I'll let you know but it's worth asking you never know if they've got a project out there or not because even if it's not now if one comes up the first person she'll think of will be you because you've asked previously yeah so it's kind of like being cheeky but also being respectful you want people to keep you in their mind and you know be easy to work with you know be good at what you do keep your word deliver your work on time you know put 100% into what you're doing and people will want to work with you again so yeah there's that kind of drive that you kind of need to come from yourself Mm -hmm. and um, you know light that fire inside of you because it's not easy to make this your career so you have to fight 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 to do something that you love put the work in yeah so now post um representation yes what extra load does that put on you what do you have to do now i think it's kind of similar 
I sent my first quote out myself recently and I was like, whoa. <laughs> um, but from having had representation for so long, I know what I'm worth. Yeah. I know what I would do a job for. I know what they would quote for it because yeah, yeah. I'm close with my management team and we discuss it. So for me now, it's like, it's actually really important for me to be able to say, this is what I'm worth. Um, this is what I would do it for. And you know, let's talk and make it happen. So I guess there's, again, a strength, a confidence in representing yourself and being like, no, that's that's what I'm worth. And then you don't have anxiety throughout the whole project being like, I can't believe I said I'd do this for free. <laughs> and it's taken me four weeks, constant work. Mm. And then you hate yourself and you think, what am I doing? How am I going to feed myself? <laughs> you know, so there's kind of knowing what's doable, what you want to do. And I feel quite clear on that at the moment. So from someone who was with representation for so long and yeah. now you aren't, yeah. what would you say to someone who was thinking about maybe guessing it? Like, do yeah. you, would you recommend... If 100%. You could, yeah. yeah, I think definitely because I didn't know my worth for quite a long time. And when brands that I really admired got in touch with me, the first thing I would say is I'll do it for free. Yeah, because before I wanted, they've even said anything. Before they've said anything, because yeah. it's one of my favourite brands that I wear all the time or that I admire or have admired all my life and I thought oh that would be good PR or you know that'd Mm. be good press for me and actually no think of a number double it no I'm joking but it's (laughs) like you know they would say to me Poppy you're worth asking for thousands of pounds and I was like no thousands like it felt so wrong and dirty to say it is worth something thousand pounds like I was embarrassed so I think being with them for five years after a while I'm like I'm not doing it for that much (laughs) I I, you know add on a bit more like I need travel I need this I need that and I was like oh my god I'm becoming a bit of a like diva but (laughs) But stuff like that is really important to consider I mean travel is expensive like if you've got to get a train I want an Uber there and back because I've got a huge suitcase yeah um I don't want to do my back in Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, but, well, I mean, to, a, to an extent, I think that's true. It's like, I mean, we we work up and down the country. Yeah. And um, if we're doing a job in, in Scotland, say, and, yeah. we, and we forget to quote for travel, then that's like... No, that's a hundred and something yeah, pound yeah. train, isn't a, it? It's more than a flight to Amsterdam. Isn't it it's like, like 150 yeah. quid train? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, and often the times they want you to get there are peak as well. So that's like, that triples. Yeah, so I think for me, it was a really important way of... Um, discovering how business works like going to someone with a quote them coming back with their budget all that kind of to and fro of getting a project off the ground I really understood with professionals how that works I grew in confidence and also I had people to bounce ideas off like do you think I should do that do you think oh they haven't got any budget but it's a charity that means a lot to you so I think that might be a great project for you and I hadn't really thought oh okay god there's other stuff that I can actually make a difference with my work as well as getting paid Mm. by other brands and things like that so for me it was the first time I felt professional and I don't know how far I would have got on my own because I, I just didn't have all those tools yet and then five years later I feel like I've learned so much from them and now I'm ready to you know be my own person and you know, take care of myself and, you know, I've, I've learned the tools of the trade to kind of go forward in business 
as as an individual. So how many projects just come to you because people have seen your work or they found your website and how many projects do you actively kind of pursue and go out there and go after? Most everything seems to come through my Instagram so far or people have seen something posted on someone else and they'll email me. But um, even with my agency, it would all come through me and then I'd pass it on Mm -hmm. to them. So it's still all coming through me. If I hear about a job that I'm like, ooh, that is something I should be doing, then I will pursue it. But kind of the power of Instagram and having that like amazing visual portfolios that people like, oh, I love this. Could you do something like that for us? You know, they get to see what you can provide and imagine it with their logo on it, you know? So it's so easy to, you know, there's not much imagination needed. It's just like, oh, I want one of those, which is what I love about Instagram. So people can just say, I love your work, want to work with you. Can you create something for us like this? And that really is like how so much of my work comes to me is is through that medium, yeah. When I kind of look at your page, it's so clear straight away that you don't post any pictures of like your dog or whatever. It's no. like It's like, this is my work and you get, you get yeah. a clear sense as soon as you visit the page. Yeah, I sometimes do a pic of me because I'm trying to show you that I'm also gorgeous. Personal brand. I am gorgeous as well. <laughs> but... Um, I think that was more that thing of like feeling self-conscious because I used to just have um, an Instagram for myself. (laughs) This is back in the single days. Um, (laughs) And yeah, there would be that thing of like, oh my God, it didn't get enough likes. Is the lighting wrong? You know, (laughs) and now it can just be like, this is my work. I'm much easier sharing my work um, or me with my work or whatever. But I have a specific way that I want it to look. I want it to look white, black, red, with some a burst of color um i edit it a lot like if there's pictures that i posted that day that were fun but they don't look good i take those out you know i kind of curate that even though you know at the time it was totally relevant to put that picture up because it was my birthday or whatever but i like to just make sure that when you land on it there is like a portfolio feel that you just get it as soon as you see it and i think that's important too if you're a visual artist you want to kind of say this is my thing this will look good with your stuff this is my colorway this is what happens when you hire me and then on your stories you're always bloody singing am i you're always singing am i you're uh, behind the camera or a choir or oh no okay no i do choir every monday (laughs) i do i'm in a gospel choir (laughs) um house gospel choir shout out the family yeah after my dad passed away i had so much tension in my body um i love singing i'm not that good at singing but um i'd say it's pretty good at singing. Great one, okay. hey? yeah. i'm i'm fine at singing i'm not like a professional they're all professional singers so yeah. i'm there just like trying to keep up with the vibes i just knew that i had to do something to release um i had like a lump in my throat of like sadness And I knew because I had always loved singing and I was like a show off at school and, you know, singing Aladdin and Little Mermaid and like that was my whole life. I knew that there was going to be something healing for me there. Yeah, do a few stories at choir and all the girls are there all singing and altos, sopranos. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's just something that's totally different to my everyday life that brings me so much joy and like another self-expression that I think it's very physical like we do a really physical warm-up lots of dancing um throat exercises lots of stretching so it's a very like full body experience which again 
I'm like, I know I have to do this to heal and be self-expressed and to be happy. Do you have a go-to shower song? What's that? Like a song you sing in the shower. A go-to shower song. Um, I thought you said, do you ever go to shower song? I thought it was like a club. Oh, shower song. It's quite a good club name. I used to just like Craig David all the time, Seven Days, or um, just because she dances, go, go, that don't make her a whole. No. Wow, like, the Wycliffe Do you remember that one? I used <laughs> yeah, to love that Yeah, I do, yeah. Oh my god! Just like cr- crappy pop songs from my childhood, yeah. like they just bring me so much joy. I'm always singing in the shower, but my husband works in music, and it is just like, oh my god! I'm like, sign me, baby! <laughs> like down, down, down. He's like, please, please stop, please, please just stop. make it like, go away. I actually deal with really talented <laughs> musicians every day. I don't need another crazy person. So that's quite funny, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best advice you've ever got? Best advice I've ever got. I think, um, you know, my mum growing up, she was a single mum and we and her were just best, best friends. And she thought I was the most beautiful, talented thing that she had ever seen. And she really was like, whatever you want to do with your life, you are going to do that. And I'm going to support you to do that. Oh, I know. And um, I think just that, I mean, she's a creator, she's an actor, so she's got that creative soul. And I think she understood the importance of self-expression, creativity. You know, we'd be dancing on the tables in the kitchen to this song called All Bound for Moo Moo Land, which was like her favourite song. Is it called KLF or it something? It is by KLF, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So we'd be like, oh, bound for Moo Moo Land. Hey. So I think, yeah, for me, it's just to have confidence and realise that you are an incredible being and you've got something to say and it's important. And whatever way that comes out, whether it's professional, not professional, you know, people need to hear that and self-expression, whatever that is, singing, artwork, having an opinion, you know, those things are so important because you know there is an instinct to go quiet and to feel shy and self-conscious and not be heard but I think just showing the world who you are being creative and self-expressed is so healing in so many different ways and being proud of yourself and getting it wrong and falling over and all those different types of things like you know my mum is for me just like such a centering loving place and um you know she's really helped me through so much but she's like my creative source and whenever I'm feeling down I'll call her and she's like darling I think your work needs to be more explicit (laughs) I think we can go even more full-on yeah and you're like okay you know she's just got all these ideas about my work and like I love that she just gives she's very harsh critic she's like love it but I think you could do better you know she's tough on me but why the hell not because she loves me and she wants me to do well so yeah she's a total icon in my mind and I always used to read things like that when I when I was growing up of of like oh you have a unique voice and yeah and it's how important it is and that I've only just realized that it's actually true though same. recently because I think I would hear that and be like yeah but not but me but not me yeah. yeah 100% yeah yeah I felt exactly the same way and yeah. I think it's so it ta- it does take a long time to especially 
if you start consuming like positive content and you start yes. like listening to things that you know are empowering you and are, and are making Editing you better. Editing your feed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Deleting all the stuff that gives you like traumatic anxiety experience. Yeah. yeah I mean, we talked about that in a, in a previous episode of, yeah. of like going on a visual diet and, Ooh, and cutting the... Cutting visual the, diet. Guys, yeah. that is out that's there. That's Maureen Tange. She was a, a guest that. on the show and that's her, her company's called Visual Diet. It's a good and idea. she talks yeah. about, yeah, cre- curate your own feed so yeah. that everything that you're looking looking at is is empowering you and and moving you forward yeah Um, I think if you're in a good place you do that instinctively but if you're kind of keeping up with the Joneses kind of creatively as well you're kind of oh I wish my work was more like that or that's a good idea shall I do that idea you know I think that's a really really beneficial way of seeing things because it goes in all the time if you think how many hours people are spending on their Instagram feed why can't it just be amazing like whoa okay i'll put that down and actually do something this has been amazing um does anyone out of interest does anyone like kind of contact you and ask you for advice ever um students do because i think they're asked to contact an artist and do a few q a's with um kind of illustrators that they admire and stuff so i always answer those because i remember i had to do that at uni as well no one got back to me Same. She oh, did, yeah. do you yeah. remember and i'm like now i'm like okay i'm gonna answer them quickly um but i have said to one person i get that you're just sending me a sheet question that if you sent other people um just to let you know it makes it really uninspiring to answer these questions for another artist so i gave her a bit of feedback yeah. because she obviously didn't know anything about my work and maybe it just like stumbled across me on yeah. instagram but then other people were like so when you started and you were doing mostly this colorway and i'm like oh my god yeah old yeah. school fan um yeah, I love answering those things. I try and give as much advice as I can. But so in they part, do, the reason yeah. for this podcast is is yeah. that, is yeah. that because no one ever replied to me when I was a student. Yeah. And I've always replied to everyone who's contacted us. So it's then just great. You the don't idea know who for these this people show are. kind of came from that because we were yeah. like, well, how can we scale it? Oh, let's put it into a podcast. Mm. So that was kind of um, how that came around. And I've had exactly the same thing where once I had someone who was basically like demanding answers and it's like, no, dude, I'm helping you out. Like, yes. Uh, yeah. I think you have to kind with... of, this is the way to ask. Um, so if they're, if it's coming in in like a way that is combative or, you know, lazy, I'm just like, get your shit together because other people are not going to answer you. And this is why. Yeah. So it's kind of good to tell people like, be interested, do your research and ask great questions that people yeah. like, enjoy answering make it as easy as possible for the person consuming yeah. it to answer that like yeah. don't make it hard for them yeah absolutely yeah what's your favorite piece you've ever done oh favorite piece i've ever done um just for like comedy purposes i've got like a baby got back one yeah um where she's like it's a back view it's a little bit of text at the top and a friend of mine has seen it in the Levi office and they've put a little Levi label into ah. the jean and framed <laughs> it. I was like, guys, just contact me. Like, let's do something together. Well, they, they just printed it out off the internet. No, no, they bought the they print. They did buy it. Okay, They cool. bought the print, but okay. they've added a Levi label into the print. So gotcha. it looks like a yeah, kind of like, yeah. which I thought was a great idea, but like, yeah, let's do something together. I think I've got so many things that I, that mean so much to me. The dead dad club thing yeah. is like a real turning point piece for me. I don't know if I put that on my tombstone. Um, 
I told you I was ill. That's the funny one that they put yeah. you on. The, is it I told you I was sick or something yeah, on the yeah, tombstone? Yeah. That's, but yeah, it will definitely be like now that I'm a bit more aware of death and stuff, I think like design your tombstone, paint your coffin, like get mm. creative with your own ending. <laughs> yeah. There's so much stuff like that that's happening now. There's a real revolution of people taking control of what their funeral is going to look like and not being so like anxious and scared and letting other people make those choices. I think I would definitely like find a great sculptor, commission it, you know, work out what I wanted, you know, be creative in, in every aspect, I think. In life and in death. In life and in death. Where can people find you online? Okay. So my Instagram is at Poppy's Paper Cuts. Twitter is at Poppy Chancellor and Instagram is at The Grief Case for my grief project as well. So thanks for having me, guys. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. That was amazing. Bye, I love you. Thanks for listening. We're trying to help a lot of people with this show, so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message. If you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today, or they just need a little nudge in the right direction, pass this podcast on to them. If you want to hear more, then subscribe to us on iTunes. And if we helped you with anything, we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an iTunes review. It makes a huge difference. See ya.